covered topics from, I don't know, Kathy, you being a car hop when your very first job to making science sexy. Well, welcome to another episode of the Midwest Technology Campus podcast. Today we have Dr. Tim Johnson, a professor of the vet school at the University of Minnesota. Um, he also wears another hat, director of research and development at the Mid-Central Research and Outreach Center. Um, but along with Tim, we have Kathy Schwantes, uh, the West Central Regional Director of Extension, and she too wears two hats, uh, Director of Operations at the Mid-Central Research and Outreach Center. Um, Kathy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, today, Friday, uh, we're on a beautiful patio out of the Midwest Technology Campus. Um, we're recognizing that our world is looking a little different with COVID, and yet we managed to do things like this, and we're sitting outside enjoying a Friday afternoon. So, Kathy, uh, let's start with you. Um, let's talk about your role and the facility right here on campus, and then, um, you know, just give us a little synopsis of what that is. Okay. So, I'll address first the first hat that I wear of, as um, uh, the regional director for extension. I work with 10 counties throughout West Central Minnesota. They include Big Stone, Chippewa, see if I can remember all 10, um, Candy, Ohio, uh, Lincoln, Lyon, Lacaparle, Renville, Redwood, and Yellow Medicine. So I put a lot of miles on my car. And my goal is to um, make each of those counties, their uh, residents and, and communities within the counties, uh, aware of the resources that the University of Minnesota Extension has to offer so that they can take advantage of those. So my hat is to be a gateway to the University of Minnesota. Um, I oversee two regional offices, one in the Marshall, um, City of Marshall, and the other one here in Wilmer, which is located at the Mid-Central Research and Outreach Center, which we fondly call McRock, located here, of course, on the beautiful Midwest Technology Campus. So the other hat that I wear as Director of Operations for McRock is simply to make sure everyone has the resources that they need. We keep the lights on and the water running and, um, and keep operating efficiently and uh, do things like this, um, uh, provide tours for different organizations that are interested in seeing what we have to do. And again, being that gateway this time to the full University of Minnesota. So a lot of people will probably wonder why um, the university on a public, you know, on a private technology campus. So here you have this public-private partnership of sorts. How did that get to be that way? Well, that is thanks to the Midwest Technology Campus. So as the campus was developing and coming to be, um, our, the founders of the campus realized that they wanted to have a presence of the university of some kind located here. And uh, I believe it was Jim Sieben reached out to Dr. Robert Jones, who was with the Office of um, the Vice President of Research and Commercialization, and um, invited him to take a trip out here to Wilmer, Minnesota. He came, they talked, uh, negotiated, and uh, the the campus actually was very generous in donating $1.25 million uh, to, to um, um, provide a building and the renovation. And then the city of Wilmer applied to deed for a grant for matching funds, another $1.25 million. And with that, again, we did the renovation and 
uh, provide a different furnishings and equipment that went into the building. And then the Midwest Technology Campus came back again and provided funds for research equipment that you find in the McRock Lab. So we are here because of the foresight of the founders of the Midwest Technology Campus. Well, you know, I, I was working here when that started, and that was a very long process and a couple years worth. Um, I remember the renovation. Uh, I wasn't involved in all of that, but, you know, once that building got all put together, there weren't a lot of people in there. And I can say that, Kathy, once you started, um, the ball started rolling really fast, and more and more things are happening in that building. Um, but in order for that to happen... Uh, we needed a good leader, and that was you. Well, you're kind. And Thank that you. is you. <laughs> and so let's let's talk about you, Kathy. Um, where did you come from? Let's go back. And how did you get to be where you're at today? I mean, we want to hear who is Kathy Schwantis and where did you come from? Okay. Well, I was born in Marshall, so not too far from home. I was the sixth of nine children. Ooh. Uh, so big family. I'm mm-hmm. thankful to my parents for the great example that they set and being responsible and disciplined and community-minded and all of that kind of thing. But um, my first paying job was as a car hop for the A&W in Marshall, and we did not wear rollerblades, I can tell you that, or roller skates, rollerblades didn't even come to be. But um, Some people don't know what a car hop is. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, waitress who comes out to your car <laughs> rather than serving you you know what? They really ought to come back again in these right. COVID days, in the COVID right? Days. It might not be a bad model to come back to. Right. But, you know, every job that I have had has taught me something. And in those days, it was um, um, maybe being a little bit tough, but nice about it. So my question would be, we were responsible for counting the mugs uh, to make sure that they all came back in. So it was like, hmm, is it a possibility that a mug might have rolled underneath your car seat? Oh, by golly, there it is. Thank you very much, right? So, But you, every job I've had has taught me something. I was a, a grocery store clerk for a while, thought I actually wanted to be a store manager and did everything from um, running the front end and bookkeeping and unloading trucks, and that was back in the day before you had, um, we did it all by hand, right? And so, um, but it paid for my college education. Few people know, but when I first got out of college, then I started my own business with my sister. I actually was um, in collection work, so tough Ooh, again, right? That's hard work. Yeah, but um, when I graduated from college, then I moved into um, leasing and did financing. My husband's career changed, and we found ourselves in Wilmer, and I found myself in banking here. Uh, was vice president of consumer loans for Heritage Bank for a number of years. One day had a customer come in and he let me know that there was a position open at Ridgewater teaching business classes. And at that point, I wanted to be able to have a little more family time, summer off with my kids. And so I accepted that position and um, taught for a number of years. And then um, there was a position that opened up at the Economic Development Commission. And I just knew in my heart that that was something that I wanted to do. So, which, by the way, the first day at the Economic Development Commission was inviting people to focus group meetings and trying to figure out what are we going to do as a city with this um, Wilmer Regional Treatment Center that the state of Minnesota was going to divest itself from. So, um, look where you're at, full circle. Yeah, I spent a good chunk of my time meeting with the founders of the campus and uh, in Jim Jim Sieben's. Uh, podcast he talked about going to the state 
and working with the legislature and I was attending many of those meetings and so I really felt that I had a good understanding of what the campus was about and what the dream was and the vision was um, and completely supported that and, and appreciated the work and effort that went into it. The state of Minnesota said it was the most difficult, no, the most complicated real estate transaction it had ever done to date. So um, hats off to everybody here. There were you know, like any big transaction, it's going to die three times before it comes to be. And, and so there were a lot of ups and downs, but it was a great project to be able to be a part of. But So I, was, um, I, I spent three years at the Economic Development Commission and got a, a phone call from Doug Allen asking me if I would be interested in coming back to Ridgewater College. And um, uh, they had a position with um, as dean of customized training and continuing education. So I went and did that for a number of years. And then Jim Sieben gave me a phone call and said, Kathy, we have a position here open with the University of Minnesota. And I said, well, that's really great, but I love what I'm doing. He said, well, why don't you at least throw your resume out there? And so I did, and here I am. Like, it'll be eight years this fall. And I, I truly have loved every minute of every job I've ever had. Well, maybe not every minute, but close to it. <laughs> but this has been a really great move, and I've just been able to take different... It's a very eclectic background, but I've been able to take different bits and pieces of it and make those skills transferable to where I'm at today. So. I, I'm thinking car hop is coming back in your vision again. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Um, but when you're working over at the building, you have a great staff. A uh, great group of people, and we have Tim here, Tim Johnson, Dr. Tim Johnson. And Tim, let's talk to you a little bit. Um, you you don't permanently work out of McRock, or do you? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, if we go back to, say, 2015, um, right when this building was being renovated, uh, I had a full-time position in the Twin Cities, and, and so I worked out of the St. Paul campus, had a lab there, and had been coming out here maybe once or twice a month to talk with the industry groups out here and was really keen to do that, but it was tough to travel too much, right? So tough to drive out here on a regular basis, and this opportunity came about where uh, I heard they're thinking about building a research lab out here. Would you be interested in being involved in that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, long story short, uh, the the lab came to be, and uh, Carol Cardona, who's the Pomeroy chair of Avian Health, is is uh, was really instrumental in getting that making that happen from the university end. But it was interesting though because it, it allowed me to kind of get back towards home because home for me is Central Minnesota. I'm from Kimball originally, which is a town of about 700 and a about an hour from here, and uh, so so it was exciting to spend a little bit more time. I still lived out in the Twin Cities area at that point, um, but I, I still distinctly remember the first month that we were here, I believe, and our great lab team in, in at McRock, Christian and Jeanette, husband-wife combo, were building the lab from scratch, basically, and we got word that there's there's some 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 problems with avian influenza going on <laughs> potentially and it was at that time it was across the country no way is it gonna come here I mean I have to go through all these flyways to get here well within a couple of months the first case broke here and then another one 
and then another one. So very quickly, those two had to not only build a lab, but develop a test to look for the virus. And it's, it's, it's resulted in them running well over 100,000 of that test to look for that, the presence of that virus, uh, not only during the, the acute phase of the outbreak, but they've done it for years since then. Um, just as a surveillance tool to make sure that it doesn't come back. But to me, that, that was a blessing in disguise because it, it made us adapt very quickly to working out here. And as a result, we've been able to hire some more people. And I actually made the move two years ago. Uh, well, made the move a few, I've kind of migrated this direction. So in 2015, I moved to Richmond, which is, not quite halfway, but it's somewhere in between. And then last year we, we moved to Spicer. So now I spend more time here to answer your question with a very long response and a little bit of time in St. Paul. So it's kind of split duties between the two campuses. Do you think during, you know, now that you're closer to West Central Minnesota, can you teach from Wilmer, from McRock, and teach yes. your course load there? So it's... It's been interesting because when I first started spending more time out here, all of our coursework was still in person. And so in order for me to teach, most of what I would have to do is commute at least twice a week, sometimes three times a week to St. Paul. But with COVID and with just the, the changing landscape of education, we are moving more and more online and virtual. And so actually right now, all of the courses that I would have taught in person previously are going to be taught online and we're developing an entire poultry training program that uh, it will be completely virtual with the exception of uh, a master's degree where they can actually do research out here but the whole point of it is exactly what you're getting at to be able to not only teach remotely but also provide students with the ability to take courses remotely so that if they're working on a farm in in a Redwood Falls, and they want to they want to obtain some type of certificate or master's degree, but they have no desire to travel to the Twin Cities. Uh, they can do that at home at night in the morning whenever they want. So yeah, we're moving that direction, and and so it's opened up a lot of doors. Being out here, just thinking a little outside the box about how can we how can we develop uh, training programs that let the the professional take courses versus just the, the traditional student that you might see come through the campus. So I, I would just want to point out when you were talking about your personal life and you were moving to West Central Minnesota, you did use the appropriate term migrating. <laughs> um, I'm sure you use that term in the industry that you work with, the poultry industry, correct? Yeah, sure. um, let's talk a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, you said you're from Kimball. Um, did you grow up on a farm? I didn't. I, I grew up in, my, my dad owned, owned a, he just retired last year, but he owned a uh, curb company, so concrete. And so we moved around quite a bit. Uh, I was born in, in Kimball. We ended up in the Tampa Bay area for about five years when I was younger. And then I, I think they decided that Florida's great, but it's really overpopulated and it just wasn't for us. So we ended up back in Kimball when I was going into high school. And, and so uh, he, 
through all those years, he he worked in various curb-related, concrete-related jobs. But but so we grew up in not in town, but but not on a farm. I would say so, in the country, with uh, lots of trucks around us and things like that. Right. Um, then, after high school, I went to North Dakota State uh, University in Fargo. The bison. Go Bison. And uh, the, unfortunately, their football team was not nearly as good as it is today at that time. <laughs> but at least I get to enjoy it in retrospect. But uh, so, so if you, you know, the question of what, was my, what were my jobs before this job, uh, a, a couple of them come to mind. One is when I lived in Kimball through high school, I worked at the golf course out there cutting grass, which was a fun job, but the, the best perk of that was free golf, right? So I got to do a lot of golfing and learn, learn that I love that sport. Um, then went up to Fargo and paid at least a portion of my way through school delivering pizzas at Pizza Hut for, I was probably there for six years maybe. And uh, there was a couple of benefits for that. One was money to pay for tuition, but the second was I met my wife there. So we, she's from Fargo and she was a server. At the time, when I started, she was only 16, but then she got older, and then we started dating uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was another kind of shaping moment. And then, and then in those summers, I would work for my dad uh, shoveling concrete. And that that was a really good experience because it taught me I don't want to do that the rest of my life was one learning lesson. But I also got to see, you know, the 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 real-life type of work, you know, the everyday type of work that a lot of people have to do. And I think it translates to poultry production in a, in a lot of ways. And so just for me, understanding, you know, the monotony that you can encounter on a daily basis and, and you know, from, a, from an educational standpoint, that, that just really emphasizes the need to, to train a lot of these people so that they have an understanding of what they need to do um, and why they're doing it, not just doing something for the sake of doing it, but doing it because biosecurity is important and we're trying to prevent another AI from happening or, or doing something because this makes a bird, uh, you know, healthier, makes a bird happier. You know, why do we do the things we do? And so, so that I really have a passion for trying to come up with ways to train students, especially in, in those types of positions so that they can get get a better understanding of the big picture of things, I guess. So at what point did you get interested in poultry or did you have a mentor um, in college (laughs) that helped you? You know, a lot of things in life are chance and that was another great one. So when I was at uh, NDSU, my major started out as pre-med, then it changed to medical technology. I realized that really wasn't what I wanted to do either. So then it ended up with microbiology because of one course that was taught by uh, a lady named Lisa Nolan. She was a professor there. And I had no idea at the time that she would end up being my mentor over uh, early phases of career. But I got the bachelor's degree in micro and then said, well, what are we going to do? What am I going to do now? And I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I went home and worked for the summer for my dad, came back, said, I think I want to go to grad school because I don't have a job. I don't know what kind of job I want, so let's just keep going to school. And so uh, applied, got in, didn't have a a lab to go into yet, so I walked in the first day of the fall with no direction whatsoever and just kind of walked around to the different labs and 
walked into her lab and turns out she studied E. coli from chickens. And which is really interesting because at, at NDSU they don't have a big poultry program. They don't no. most of what they do has nothing to do with poultry, but she was the one person that studied E. coli in poultry. And so I said, Well that sounds kind of interesting and uh, started with a master's degree, finished with a PhD, but in the end I found out that I really enjoyed pathogens of poultry and that really kind of paved the way for everything that followed since then. And she's been a fantastic mentor and now she's the dean of the College of Vet Med down in uh, Athens at the University of Georgia. So, so she went on to do very great things and but I, I credit her with a lot of the direction in my life because there was none at that point. So, so how did you get to uh, University of Minnesota, and then all of a sudden you're under the umbrella of um, Dr. Carol Cardona, mm-hmm. and how did that all happen? Because you know those of us that work out here and that are familiar with McGrock, um, Carol was very instrumental in getting that whole uh, facility, that lab, up and going. For sure, it. Well, I, I so from from North Dakota State. I went on to do a postdoc uh, after my PhD in Ames at, at Iowa State. And then in 2007, I was looking for opportunities back in Minnesota. And there wasn't much at the time, but there was this one position in the, in the vet school, which was uh, not poultry specific, but just a wide open researcher position. So uh, I, got, I was fortunate enough to get an offer for that position and came here in 2007, and at that time, Carol was not here yet. And so uh, there was a, the the previous Pomeroy chair, Yagdev Sharma, was still here. He wasn't really connected with Wilmer so much. He was a big immunologist, so he studied the chicken immune system and and did some really fantastic work. But but that connection really wasn't strong between the university and this group out here, or the groups out here. So... Carol came along about three or four years later, and the first thing she said was, let's go start visiting with industry. I mean, she was gung-ho about getting out and meeting people. And for me, that was a tough thing to do on my own because, uh, you know, by nature I'm an introvert, so that that, uh, that just cold-calling people and saying, I want to sit down and talk with you wasn't something that was in my, my toolbox at the time. Um, she really opened up that door. And so we started, I, I think the first meeting we had was with the LSI group here uh, way back and just talked about research and, and realized that, you know, we do our own siloed things in, in St. Paul, but there's a huge amount of opportunity out here to start taking on research projects that address real turkey industry problems. And and from that First meeting, many others followed, and and Carol has she's just got this fantastic ability to uh, to connect with people, to 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 get people to buy into trust and things like that. I mean, because I think I don't know, you know, if you think about the history of the university's relationship with the poultry industry, it goes very far back to Ben Pomeroy when he was there, and he solved a ton of turkey industry problems, and then there was this big time period where uh, after he retired, things waned quite a bit. The, 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 the really solid connection disappeared for a period of time, I think. And Carol really brought a lot of that back. And, and for me, that just opened up so many doors to get back 
out here. It was it was kind of the the right person at the right time. Like I wanted to be here. There was an opportunity here. Carol saw that, and she really championed the the idea of me spending a significant amount of time out here. And that's kind of the way it, it worked out in the end. Kathy, were you around when uh, Carol? came into the university. I remember when Carol came in, but I didn't know if you were here already. She was already with the university when she I was. started. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, you know, living out here in West Central Minnesota, I can maybe speak for everybody. If you don't know that we're heavy in turkeys out here, you're living under a rock, I think. Um, you know, between the university and you have... Um, the Turkey Valley Farms and Marshall, you have a lot of independent growers, you have Genio Turkey Store, you have the Life Science Innovation, uh, Wilmer Poultry Group, which are, you know, our owners on the campus. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we feel that it's important to have that presence out here. Um, We need to protect our industry in our state of Minnesota. And so, um, Kathy, maybe you can talk a little bit about the lab and how important that is to our region. And, you know, if you have to go back to avian influenza, and I mean, this was a huge thing for us uh, when you saw that industry go through that. Right. So, um, McRock itself opened up in 2012. And uh, I remember giving various tours of the lab, and we had all the wonderful equipment there, and nobody in it. I remember that. Yeah, I clearly remember when Christian and Jeanette, who are a husband and wife team from um, the St. Paul lab, came out just to take a look at what we had out here and if they might be interested in it. And, um, and quite frankly, the amenities here on campus um, certainly helped to sell the idea of having them come here in addition to the beautiful area that we live in, right? But but having childcare, um, Jeanette was pregnant at the time, so childcare on campus is, was a nice feature to them. And, you know, just the atmosphere that we have here, the beautiful building that we have. But So they started in 2014, as Tim was saying, and just got it up and running and was doing research, and then the avian influenza hit. But I think it was in 2015, it was really critical that those relationships were built. And Tim, you just just had been getting really started we were having meetings with business and industry wanting to shape the um, research that was done at the lab to what the industry really needed and and be practical and applicable and in the work that was being done so we were having those kind of conversations and it was uh, we couldn't have asked for better timing Mm -hmm. and for an unfortunate thing to have happened if it had been two years earlier we would not have been in the same situation where we were able to help and and assist. Prior to our um, lab opening, our area producers would have to take samples and they would drive daily into the cities and drop them off at St. Paul, have someone drive back, and then they would wait for the results to come back. And once we had the lab here, they were able to bring the samples here, save themselves the two hours of, um, of getting it here, and we were able to process it for them very quickly and they could get that information back. And if I remember correctly, it was our lab that actually found the first, identified at first as being in the area. But much as you go to your doctor and the doctor will tell you the diagnosis, he doesn't share that with the world. It really had to go to the Minnesota Poultry Testing Lab, and they officially recognized it and and made that announcement. So, but... um, but uh, Christian and Jeanette worked 24 hours a day, literally. I would go in the evenings after my meetings were done, and I'd be back in the morning, and they were there rotating. 
between the two of them to cover and do all of those tests. And what they did was so heroic that the poultry industry created a new award called the Unsung Heroes Award. And, uh, and really, they developed it just to recognize Christian and Jeanette for the work that they did. And truly, it, their efforts were heroic. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's, it was really vital that we had um, the, the lab up and running. Um, it's a wonderful lab if you come to it. When I've toured the, the different lab in, in St. Paul, uh, what we have here is a Cadillac version. And so uh, it makes it easy for people want to want to be here. But um, we've got a clean lab, uh, a receiving lab. We've got the working lab. We've got a teaching lab. Uh, it's, it's very nice and pretty high tech. And Tim could tell you more about the equipment, but we're pretty proud of the DNA sequencer that we have. Uh, That's um, an amazing piece of equipment that was also an industry partnership. They helped us in in acquiring that piece of equipment. Um, Tim, talk to us about the DNA sequencer. I think, um, you know, it sounds like a pretty cool piece of equipment, but what can you do with it? Um, Who's using it or who's utilizing that kind of... um, well, I, you know, Kathy touched on, too, I think, an important point that when you talk to the diagnostic lab, they report back, we run so many tests per year. Um, this is what we do per year. By, by definition, they have to be transparent about what they do. I think one of the advantages of having our lab out here and collaborating with industry is that we do a lot of things that, that never get talked about. Right. And, and with, with purpose, because... As you know, think there are certain things in industry that are very sensitive, and they need to know information, but they can't afford for everybody else to know that, whether it's because of competition with other companies or, um, you know, things that that would be maybe seen as a, as a negative, even though it might not be by, by the public. And so the DNA sequencer is a perfect example of that because what we do is we run that that machine pretty much all of the time, except with the exception of COVID lately. But um, it's a mix of, of our own research projects. So, you know, we get money from places like the USDA and NIH and the turkey growers industry. Those are public projects where it, it's clear what we're doing and we use funds that are either federal or, or stakeholder uh, provided and we we get at these research questions with that's that's one part of what the sequencer does and then the other part though is that that hidden part where we do a lot of work for industry and I can give you examples so say there's a disease problem on a farm and they know it's a particular bacteria but they don't understand where it's coming from so so what we would do in that case is we we would talk through we'd sit down and talk about well, what are you observing? What are you seeing? And then we'd say, well, here's where we think you can look to, to try to find that bacteria outside of the, the dead bird that it's, that it's infected. And we can use this DNA sequencer not to just say, is it there or not? But we can do a, a, almost like a CSI type approach to it where we try to, to get a profile or a fingerprint or a DNA fingerprint of it. And then we say, okay, the, the, the bacteria you're seeing that's killing the birds, is it coming from the feed? So we find the same bacteria in the feed. 
Well, it might turn out that we find the same bacteria there, but it's a different strain or type of that bacteria. Whereas if we look in uh, maybe the environment, we might find, oh, it's, it may be coming from wildlife. So we could get strains from, of the same bacteria from there, put it on the DNA sequencer. So the DNA sequencer provides the ultimate resolution where we can look at a bacteria and say, is this bacteria the same or different from, from that one over there? And so we do a, a lot of that for industry where, uh, you know, very, many different questions, but all with that same approach. Are these, is the source that we're looking at the same as what we're seeing on the, on the, on the back end? And if not, where else should we look? And, and then we will look more. So many projects have started just looking at a few of bacteria that they've collected in their labs and expand into full-blown research projects where we try to get at um, very specific causes of, of issues. And, and one example of that might be the, the Salmonella redding outbreak, which some people may be familiar with that happened uh, just over a year ago. Um, it spanned for a year and a half. But the CDC declared this outbreak that impacted uh, 600 people, made them sick, and they attributed it to a turkey source, but they couldn't pinpoint a company. So, so CDC likes to find a product, right, because you hear about these recalls, throw away your, your ground turkey from this company because it's the source of this salmonella outbreak. Well, they were never, never able to find that source, and so we ended up using the DNA sequencer and a lot of computer work to figure out that, that there was no single source of this. It actually was something that started way up high and got spread to the entire industry over a period of about a year. And as a result, it became uh, widespread in, in all poultry barns, turkey barns in the U.S. And beyond that, we figured out why that happened. And, and it was all due to that DNA sequencer. We found uh, changes that the bacteria had accumulated before it got spread that made it able to persist in the barns better than it was able to before. And so that that's an example of started with discussions with the group here on campus about, hey, there's this, this outbreak coming and we need to know why that's happening and turned into a whole project trying to explain why it happened and how do we stop that from happening in the future. That's so cool. Kathy? I was just going to say, I don't know why more people don't want to go into that line of work. If you want to be a researcher, is that not exciting? I think that's really cool. <laughs> he, he got me at CSI. That's CSI, where he got me. Yes. Um, so on the DNA sequencer, is there any kind of partnership that you have with the local college, Ridgewater College? Are they? Are you talking with them? Are students able to get to understand that type of machine? We are. We. So, so that's been another really fun thing about being out here was I was able to connect with the biology group at Ridgewater a few years back and and it started with just some discussions and then they said hey can you do a guest lecture for one of our classes uh, on antibiotic resistance so I didn't I went in and did that um, but then we started talking about well hey how can we provide some of those Ridgewater students with more opportunity for research experience if they want that and so it's 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 still in its infancy but we've brought in a couple of Ridgewater students into the lab where we teach them about exactly what your you know DNA sequencer how do how do you use this machine how do you and the harder part using the machine is pretty straightforward the harder part is how do you deal with the the five million letters that come out of it and what 
what do you do with those letters, right? The A's, the T's, C's, and G's, and, and make sense of all that. So, so when we bring students into the lab here, and it's been Ridgewater, but it's also been people from industry as well that want to learn more about genomics. And so we bring them in, and you get to learn the hands-on piece as well as the interpretation piece. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to be able to train students, and that's actually led to you know coming back to this poultry training programs where we're trying to do this on a more formal basis where we can provide uh, actual internships to students that, that want to come in from industry and from places like Ridgewater. I think um, for our listeners, and just so they understand, so some of these projects that you're working on, or maybe all of these projects you're working on, are coming from conversations you're having with people in the industry. Yes. Is that correct? Or are I, they coming down from the university? No, I would argue that every project we're working on here in, at McRock, but not only that, I mean, if you look at my independent research program, every current funded, currently funded grant we have started with a conversation here on campus, honestly, where we just brainstormed about what are the needs, what's missing, and I, you know, I then take that and try to turn it into um, sexier-looking science that we can go in and, and uh, get money for, and then we come back and we actually answer the questions and then try to take it a step further and get, understand the, the basic science behind it. And, but I, like literally every project we've got right now started with a conversation on campus. So. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, and that really speaks to the importance of, um, of a facility like that um, out in West Central Minnesota or anywhere you know, in outstate Minnesota mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't always have to take place in the metro area. And, um, you know, again, I'll go back to the concentration of uh, turkey producers um, where they're at. So, you know, to me, logically, it always made sense to bring those resources to the people and to the industry. And um, I think that's why this facility is actually doing really well out here. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't know that what the capability is in that lab. Kathy, from your perspective, um, as you are overlooking that whole facility, um, what kind of things um, come to you that um, maybe are not, you know, um, the DNA sequencer or genomics or that that are strictly talking about bacteria or things like that? What other kind of in- things happen at that facility? Well, actually, with before we run out of time, there's one thing I'd like to talk about, if you don't mind me adding in, and sure. that is that... When Tim talks about us working with business and industry, um, and we also mentioned collaboration with Ridgewater College. Now, I don't know how many times the University of Minnesota has collaborated with um, the M State colleges and universities, but we listened to our industry partners, and they said, we need training for our employees, and we also need Um, a way to recruit new employees or get people excited about the poultry industry. And so um, Tim really spearheaded this. Um, He's a very humble man, and he wouldn't give himself the kudos that he all deserves for building the program that we have out here. But um, we are just kicking off this fall um, a a multi-level stepped phase poultry training in collaboration with Ridgewater College so that If someone wants to take one class uh, that just happens to 
pertain to what work they do, they can take one class. If they want to get a certificate, if they want to get their undergraduate degree, if they want to get a master's degree, all of that can be done. We're offering them online, and then the research portion of the master's is being done at, at um, McRock. And again, Tim has been really instrumental in creating that program, so you should really be the one talking about it instead well, of me. But I just wanted to make sure we got perfect. that, had an opportunity to talk about it. So now that you mentioned it, how are you marketing it You know, to your industry partners? And you know, I'm thinking companies that maybe have some employees that maybe want to get their feet wet a little bit in mm-hmm. something like this. How are you marketing that? It's, it's been interesting because it's, it's tough. I mean, like when you mentioned the industry as a whole before, you've got everything from the large companies with executive groups all the way to the independent grower. And uh, there, there are ways and venues that you can get the word out, but I think things like this are in, in many ways the best way because we've, we certainly have targeted each company here in in the area and and yeah through focus groups and stakeholder advisory committees and they're very invested in in these programs but we're also trying to use uh, associations like the mtga the turkey growers association uh, to to get the word out to those either smaller companies the allied industry or the independent growers that are part of that make up that association because i think that on on every level there's probably someone who would, in any of those uh, places that would benefit from whether it's one course or one certificate or a master's degree, there's, I think there's an opportunity for just about anybody you can think of that has poultry aspirations to further their education through, through this platform. So, so we're continuing to work on ways to get the word out, thanks to Kathy, who's been fantastic with helping find those opportunities. But but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to, to get, to find every single person. So that's what we're trying to aspire for. And it's, it's mainly locally right now, but our, our goal is to make it a national and even international program. That's great. And something that's going to start right here yep. in West Central Minnesota, right on the Midwest Technology Campus. Yep. So we've covered topics from, I don't know, Kathy, you being a car hop when your very <laughs> first job to making science sexy and um, collaboration <laughs> industry partners. Um, if you had one last thing to say to our listeners, um, Tim, take it away. Kathy, you'll get your chance too. What, what's one thing that you would like them all to know? I, I think one thing is that we are accessible. Um, from you know the researchers here and it's not just me it's it's me plus the entire poultry super group that we have on campus there's 15 to 20 of us Um, if even if you don't feel comfortable don't hesitate to contact us and it can be through Kathy it could be through me or whoever Um, we're here for you and if you want to if you have a question or you want to talk about something please please contact us and Kathy, what, what would you like our listeners to know? You can also contact the youth through MinWest. You yes. can go to our website as well. We'll get you there. Well, I'd pretty much like to echo what Tim said. Our mission statement is that we improve the lives of the citizens in the state of Minnesota through research, outreach, and education. We are here to be a conduit to the resources at the U, uh, whether it's Extension or the greater university. So we're only a phone call away. Give us a call. We'd love to work with you.
Great. Thanks, uh, Tim and Kathy, today for being my guest on the Midwest Technology Campus podcast. If anyone gives us a call, um, we'll refer them over to the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, anything that we can do to help, we would love to get the word out about the poultry lab, about um, the schooling that you have coming up. And the first thing ever, we'd like to make this a hot spot um, about anything and everything poultry. We would like to send them your way. And so for our listeners out there, um, this is the place to be at the Mid-Central Research and Outreach Center on the Midwest Technology Campus. So thank you today for all of your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to today's Midwest Technology Podcast. If you or anyone else you know might be interested in learning more about the Midwest Technology Campus or the businesses that reside out here, or maybe you're looking for jobs or job opportunities on the campus, visit us at MidwestTechnologyCampus.com.